Let me invite you to turn this morning to Exodus 20. In just a moment, we'll begin looking together at Exodus 20, verse 7. Before we do, let's go to the Lord seeking His help. Father, as I prepare to speak for you to your people, I say with Paul, may it never be that I would boast in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. God, in saying that, um, any one of us would admit that the spirit is willing, but many times the flesh is weak. So, God, we pray now that as you speak to us, that you would, through your law, um, deflate our pride. God, if there's any commandment written for people who are religious, this one might be the one that we need to hear. So speak to us today that we would come to the cross of Christ and find mercy and grace and joy. And speak to us today, Father, that we would leave with lips that are different, perhaps, than the ones we brought in. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may remember reading last year about the furor that was set off in the Muslim community when a Danish newspaper published a series of cartoons that were poking fun at Islam and at Allah and at Muhammad, the prophet. And what happened as a result of that is there were official protests filed with the UN. There were crowds gathering in the streets to protest. There were death threats called into the newspaper's offices. And there was a firestorm of debate all across the world all because people were not hallowing the name of Allah and of Muhammad, his prophet. Contrast that to America, the land of churchgoers. In America, this is not always the case, but many times we have pastors, Christian comedians, jokes that we tell that belittle God the same way that those cartoons belittled Islam. And yet in America, crowds gather not to protest or to weep, but to pay money for tickets, sometimes to go and hear these kinds of jokes. Now, my point is not that we should imitate the response of the Muslim community. If Allah were a living and true God, he would not need anyone to file papers with the UN for himself. And our God doesn't either. And my point is not that humor is inherently bad because the Bible speaks about humor in different places. Ecclesiastes 4 says there's a time to laugh. But I do need to say to you that if the worshipers of a false god are distraught and upset when their god is poked fun at, and if the worshipers of the true god listen to it and even sometimes pay to listen to it, perhaps... It's the right time for us to look again at the third commandment. So read with me Exodus 20, verse 7. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. The first question we need to ask is what's in a name? Why is the name of the Lord your God so important that it would warrant a whole commandment to itself? Why is the Lord so concerned with how we use his name? Well, if we just think about names in general, all of us realize that names are important. It's important for you to have a good name, isn't it? If someone uses your name to defame you or as a joke, it doesn't feel very good. Names are important. Parents carefully select names for their children because names are important, because that child is going to carry that name with them for the rest of his life. So sometimes the name is a reminder of some family tie. Sometimes it may speak about your ethnic or cultural identity. For Toby and I, we selected first names from the Bible and middle names from uh, the history of missions. In some cases, names have just everyday meanings, especially in other cultures. In Ethiopia, this was the case. I had students whose names meant flower and all sorts of other things. I had one student whose name was particularly important. His name was Kassan, which means substitute. So why is your name substitute? He said, well... Because when I was born, my older brother had just been killed. Names are important for various different reasons. Your name was selected for a reason. Your children's names were selected for a reason. And if names are important to us, how much more is the name of the Lord our God important to God? And how much more should it be important to us? If you study the Old Testament all, you realize that God has a personal name, just like we do. We call him God. That's kind of his title. But he has a personal name. In Hebrew, the name is spelled with the letters Y-H-W-H. There are no vowels in the original Hebrew, uh, so they would have added vowels in between. But since we aren't sure exactly how to pronounce that name, and out of reverence for the personal name of God, your English translations, most of them, probably all of them, in place of God's personal name, Y-H-W-H, will translate God's personal name, Lord, all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So when you're reading through the Old Testament and you find that title, the Lord, all caps, if you didn't know before, now you know that what that is is a reference to God's personal name, Y-H-W-H. And if you'll turn with me to Exodus 3, just a few pages back, you'll discover that God's name just like many of our names, has a particular meaning attached to it. Turn to Exodus 3, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 15. God is having a conversation with Moses, telling Moses that he needs to go to the people of Israel who are in captivity in Egypt and bring them out. And Moses questions God, and he says, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. 
Now, when you read that, you should notice that not only is the Lord in all caps in verse 15, but I am is in all caps previously in the passage. I am is in all caps just like the Lord because I am is the same meaning as God's personal name translated the Lord. I am is a basic translation of God's personal name. If we were to not write it the Lord, but actually translate it into English, it's a verb. And Hebrew verbs are attached with the subject. And the name then means I am. That's God's name. And that's significant. Because no other being in heaven or on earth or under the earth can ever claim that name. No one. Anytime you or I begin a sentence with the words I am, we always have to add something to it. We always have to qualify that, don't we? I am 30 years old. I am from Mississippi. I am this, that, or the other. But God needs add nothing to those two words. God and God alone can simply say, I am. Because He is self-existent. Because He had no beginning. Because He will have no end. Because He needs nothing. Because He never changes. He can simply say to us, I am. Period. And so He's chosen that as His personal name. So I am, or as it's usually translated in the English, the Lord, all caps, is God's personal name. God also gives himself other names as well. He's called himself God. That's the most common way that we refer to him. He's called himself in Genesis 22:14, the Lord, our provider. Provider is one of God's names as he provided the ram in the thicket in place of Isaac. In the book of Isaiah, all throughout the book, you find him calling himself God Most High or the Lord Most High. The Most High God is another name. Most High. Psalm 23. He is the Lord our Shepherd. And Jesus took that title upon himself in John 10. Jeremiah 23.6. He's the Lord our Righteousness. So one of the names of the Lord is Righteousness. What about Matthew 1.21? You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God has used multiple names to describe himself to us. But in every case, we need to see that just like I am, all of God's names have a specific meaning attached to them. Everything that God calls himself has a significance to it. Each name tells us something about the character of God. That's why it's so heinous to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's not just a name that he goes by. It's not just a name that he picked out so we would know what to call him. His name means something about himself. And so when we misuse God's name, we are, in effect, calling into question his character or defaming his character. That's what we do when we misuse the name. That's why the name is so important. That's why it has its own separate commandment. We are to honor and use rightly God's name, not to use it wastefully. Now, the next question then is, how do we break the third commandment? 
first question is, why is God's name so important? What's in a name? The second commandment is, how do we, how do we break this? How is this commandment broken? Some of you may have seen, if you go on the Internet like I do, you may have seen or maybe you've heard about something called the Blasphemy Challenge. How many of you have heard of that on the Internet? A few of you. Um, the rest of you, I'm glad you haven't heard of it. What it is is basically a group of unbelieving Internet junkies who have challenged the American public, specifically American young people, to film themselves cursing God and to put those films on the Internet. The reason being, they have an agenda to mock what Jesus said in Matthew 12:31. Jesus said, all sins will be forgiven men except one sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's an unforgivable sin. And they think that's ridiculous. And so they say, we're going to show how ridiculous this is. We're going to get on the Internet so that anybody in the world can come watch us blaspheme God and blaspheme His Holy Spirit. So they're mocking Jesus. They're also mocking the third commandment, aren't they? Because the third commandment says the Lord will not leave Him unpunished who takes His name in vain. They won't be mocking forever, that's for sure. But my guess is this. My guess is that when we think of the third commandment, most of us think of something like that, outright blasphemy. People cursing God, people using His name as a curse word, perhaps people shaking their fist at God and calling Him out. And we need to think of those things because our culture is filled with those things and the third commandment so clearly speaks against them. And some of us may need to think of them because some of us may have been doing them. Some of us may have been using God's name as a curse word. Some of us may have been frustrated with God this week and found ourselves shaking our fists in God's face or even cursing Him. So we need to think about those things, but I want to show you that beyond our initial reaction to the third commandment, there are, as with the other commandments, more subtle and, if I may say, more socially acceptable ways for us to break the third commandment. And though the ways that we may, may break it are more socially acceptable, they're just as bad. They're no less serious. So, in the 1600s, Thomas Watson listed 12 ways that we may break the, ten command, or the third commandment. I'm not going to give you 12 ways today. I'm just going to give you three that I think give us a summary of the different ways that we may use the name of the Lord in vain, aside from outright blasphemy. Number one, by flippant words. Number two, by false vows. And number three, by phony religion. Flippant words, false vows, phony religion. All of those things break the third commandment. Number one, flippant words. Listen to the definition of the word Jesus from the 1995 edition of the Oxford Concise English Dictionary. First definition on the list. Jesus means... An exclamation of surprise, dismay, etc. Only after that initial and primary definition do they go on to say as a secondary thought, name of the founder of the Christian faith. Interesting, isn't it? What they're telling us is that in the English-speaking world, in most English-speaking workplaces, schools, and homes, the most common use of the word J-E-S-U-S is as an exclamation at the least and many times as a curse word. Now I'd like to believe that there'd be no reason for me to elaborate on this point for a church audience. But the reality is that I, and I'm sure you do as well, continually hear, continually hear phrases like good Lord 
and oh my God, and so on from the mouths of churchgoers. I hear them from the mouths of some of you. It shouldn't be. I also hear a few of you who are maybe slightly more conscientious about these things and you've convinced yourself that you're safe as long as you use only Christian curse words like gosh and gracious and geez and the other Christian curse words that don't relate specifically to God's name. We all know what you really mean. And it's unacceptable. It's just not acceptable. God's name is not to be used as an exclamation of surprise or dismay. Now, you may be thinking in your defense, because I would think like this in my defense. Pastor, I'm not intentionally trying to use God's name. I mean, I'm not trying to blaspheme God. It's just a habit that's formed. My parents talk this way, and my coworkers use God's name as an exclamation, and it, it just happens, and I don't even realize that I'm doing it. That's just the problem. If God is so far in the back of our minds that His name can slip off our tongues without us even realizing we're doing it, then we have bigger problems than just the third commandment, don't we? This is how little we think of God who made us and who loves us and who sent His only begotten Son to die for us that His name just slips out. Then we need to hear the third commandment. I hope that that's not the case for you. Similarly, though, I want to say that if we experience God as the I am, if we remember his amazing love shown to us at the cross, it would be very difficult for us to just let his name slip out carelessly. And it would be very difficult for us to refer to him in a cavalier way as the big guy or the man upstairs. If we remember that he's the I am, if we remember that he's the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world, we will speak about Him with joy, yes, but also with reverence. And while we're on the subject of flippancy, I just want to return briefly to the subject of Christian humor for a moment. As I said, I'm not against humor. I don't think God is against humor. In fact, I believe God created humor because I see God using humor in the Bible, usually to show us how foolish we look when we sin and when we bow down to idols. In fact, we saw God, I think, making fun of people who bow down to idols last week in the book of Isaiah. So I don't think that God is against humor. But I want to say to you that the humor that we find in the Bible and the humor that we just find in the natural world when bizarre things happen is altogether different than some of the Christian humor that's found currency in our day. It's different. There are different kinds of humor. I'll just give you an example, not, I hope, so that you think this is funny and you'll repeat it, but to say to you, something's wrong. When I was a child, I grew up being told, and I knew it was a joke, but I grew up being told that Texas Stadium had a hole in the roof so that God could watch the Dallas Cowboys play. And I told other people that. That's blasphemy. Not because God doesn't want to watch the Cowboys play, but because we're using God's name, A, just to get a laugh, and B, because if God wants to watch the Cowboys play, God's everywhere. God doesn't need a hole in anybody's roof. That's just an example of using God's name for no reason other than to be funny. I'll give you another one. Some of you have heard the joke about the child who prayed the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, herald be thy name. 
If you heard a child say that, it might be funny because it happens naturally. But when we go to repeat it just to get laughs, something's not quite right about that. What's the problem with that kind of humor? First, it's flippant. It's teaching us to take God's name lightly and to speak of him only to get a few laughs. Search the Bible and find if you can see anyone using God's name to make themselves or others laugh. You can't. Second, jokes like that are frivolous. Because unlike the humor in the Bible, they use God's name, but they don't teach us anything about God. You see? When you use God's name, the same as last week when we, when we spoke about Jesus, anything that we would portray about Jesus ought to evoke worship and praise and adoration. So that's why we don't use things that represent him wrongly. Visual things that represent him wrongly to promote praise and worship and adoration. The same thing with God's name. If we're speaking about God, everything we say ought to promote praise and worship and adoration. And if it doesn't, it is a waste. And that's literally what the phrase in vain means. To take God's name in vain means to use God's name wastefully. To spill it on the ground. To no purpose. If God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die in bloody, ignoble shame, then how could I ever take his name upon my lips or upon my keyboard as a flippancy? I can't in good conscience. So number one, flippant words are a violation of the third commandment. Number two, false vows are a violation of the third commandment. False vows. Now, there are many situations in our world where we find ourselves making vows to the Lord and before the Lord rightly. We don't have time now, but when we studied the Sermon on the Mount, we looked at what Jesus said when he told us not to make any vows. And we said, does that mean we can't swear in the courtroom? Does that mean we can't take wedding vows and so on? And we gave the answer at that time, no. That's not what Jesus had in mind. If you want to know more about that, you can ask me or you can find that message on the Internet. So having said that, there are times, like our wedding vows, when we find ourselves making vows to the Lord or before the Lord. And when we break those commitments, among committing other sins, we are breaking the third commandment. Think it through with me on a few fronts. When we testify in the courtroom and we swear on a Bible to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, God's Word, and then we give false witness, we're not only breaking... The ninth commandment, we're also breaking the third commandment because we're giving false witness in the name of God. When we stand at the front of a church to be married and we make vows in front of the congregation and in front of the Lord to our spouse in God's name, if we then break those vows, we violate not only the seventh commandment about adultery, but we violate the third commandment. Because we've made a vow in the name of the Lord and not kept it. If we join the church, when we join the church, we agree in God's name to a membership covenant. We have a membership covenant. And if you've joined, in the, at least in the last five years, you've gone through that and agreed to it. And when we agree to that kind of covenant before the Lord, and then turn around and break those commitments... We incur not only the discipline of the church, but we incur the punishment of the Lord, according to the last half of verse 7. So anytime 
we bring the name of God into an oath and then break that oath, we have the word of God that's clear. The Lord will not leave us unpunished because we're taking God's name falsely. Now, this includes these rash statements that we make as well. I swear to God, with God as my witness, if we say those things and then turn around and break that promise, we're breaking the third commandment. Those are frightening phrases because we're, we're, we're challenging God to punish us if we don't do this. So they are dangerous phrases, but they're also usually useless phrases. If you have to call God's name into play when you make a promise, you've already lost the battle. Because the only reason why we have to call God's name into play when we make promises to one another, when we sign contracts, when we say we'll be there, whatever it is, is because we're inherently dishonest. Isn't that the only reason why you would have to swear on a stack of Bibles or say with God as my witness? Because you're inherently dishonest. If you're honest, people just trust you. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5.37 that we read this morning that our yes is to be yes and our no is to be no and that it ought to be as simple as that. We don't have to call God's name into all the different promises that we make because we should be honest people as Christians. Therefore, when we do bring God's name into promises that we make, we are almost always wasting his name like water on the ground because it's unnecessary. We're using his name in vain when we say, I swear to God. When we do so, then, even if we end up keeping the promise, we may be breaking the third commandment. So false vows, hasty vows, you might say as well, break the third commandment. Thirdly, phony religion. Phony religion. In writing on the third commandment, British pastor Brian Edwards says, I think with a smile on his mouth as he wrote it, Christians do not tell lies. They just sing them in their hymns. I think that quote is as helpful as it is humorous. Because it's true. Edwards is simply reminding us of the fact that many of us sometimes use God's name in religious ceremonies and songs and services and prayers but don't really mean what we say or aren't paying attention to what we say or have no desire or passion about what we're saying. Much of the time, the problem is far deeper than mere distraction. When we worship God in ways that are hypocritical, the problem is not just that we're tired. Sometimes it may be. Sometimes it may be that we're distracted. But sometimes it's far deeper than that. Listen to what God says about this kind of person. Isaiah 29:13 This people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service but they remove their hearts far from me. How does that happen? What happens when we teach others about the Lord and have no intention of making application to ourselves? That's a prayer request for me. Every week I'm tempted to break the third commandment by teaching you about the Lord and having no intention of doing anything about it myself. When we pray prayers in Jesus' name, which we should, but in reality we're trusting in ourselves. We're misusing his name. When we sing about how we love God and in reality our lives show that we really mostly just love ourselves, we're using God's name in vain. 
when we sing about how we trust Jesus. But all the while we're trying to save ourselves with good works. We're using God's name in vain. When we speak about God or pray to God in order to be noticed by men, then we're using God's name in vain. When we, like the Pharisees, use religion, piety, as an excuse to look down upon other people or not to love other people, then we're using God's name in vain. We're taking God's name upon ourselves, but not loving others the way God has loved us. Blanket statement, when we go through the motions in public worship or in private devotions, we're here just because we have to be. And we take God's name upon our lips without really wanting to or thinking about what we're saying. We are, to one degree or another, breaking the third commandment. We are drawing near to God with our lips while our hearts are far from Him. Now, having spoken about how we break the command, let's go on and look closely at the end of verse 7. Let's look closely at the warning that's attached to the third commandment. Commandment. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. If the greatness of God and the goodness of God to us doesn't motivate us to obey the third commandment, perhaps the judgment of God will. And God is so serious about this command. He's so serious about the sanctity of his name that it comes with an express promise of judgment if we don't obey Only one other command has a promise of judgment with it. It's the one we looked at last week. That's serious, isn't it? God is serious about His name. And He will judge those who don't use it properly. Now someone may say, well, this is the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is filled with God's judgments. But we live in the land of the New Testament. We're a New Testament people. Surely God wouldn't be as harsh with us as he was back then. Well, if that's the way we think, we need to think again. And while we're thinking again, turn with me to Acts 5. Let's just see if God changed between Malachi and Matthew. I think most of you know that he didn't. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's actually back up and read beginning in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. 
And Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Now very clearly, if, if anything, this passage reminds us that God in the New Testament does sometimes punish his people. But let me ask you, what was Ananias and Sapphira's problem? What was their sin? If you will, what commandment were they breaking? The commandment to bear false gave false bearing The pieces for the birth wasn't they lied to their neighbors. So it wasn't mainly a ninth commandment problem. So what was their problem? Maybe it was the tenth commandment. Covetousness, greed, selfishness. And that was part of it as well. But notice, Peter didn't scold them for that either. In fact, he insinuates in verse 4 that it would have been perfectly okay for them to have kept part of the money for themselves, part of the price of the real estate. So it wasn't mainly a Tenth Commandment issue as well. So what was the sin problem of Ananias and Sapphira? I think it was the Third Commandment. They were taking God's name upon their lips. They were attaching God's name to their gift mainly. Why? In order to be noticed by men. Because Barnabas had been noticed when he gave his gift. And they said, hey, maybe if we give our gift, our names will be in the Bible too. That's not really what they thought, but they wanted God to notice them. And they mainly wanted others to applaud them. They used God's name for their own selfish purposes. They broke the third commandment and God did not leave them unpunished. Neither will He do so with us. Now make no mistake, in Christ we are eternally forgiven. So hear that well. If we have trusted Christ and Him alone as our hope for salvation, then we can be sure that He will not ultimately punish us in hell. However, God does reserve the right, and Exodus 20 and Acts 5 remind us that He does, to punish His children who go astray. In fact, the New Testament tells us that those whom God loves, He disciplines. God is not going to let us get away with misusing His name, whether it's in phony religion, whether it's with flippant words, or whether it's with false vows, or whether it's just with outright blasphemy. God will not let you get away with that. He won't if you're his child. You need to remember that. The next time you come here and you're distracted and you think about just putting it on autopilot, if you're going to put it on autopilot, at least don't use God's name without thinking about him. You need to remember that. Invoke the name of the Lord flippantly or are tempted to or are hearing someone else do so. There are helpful ways to encourage other people when they're doing this and there are unhelpful ways. One way that I heard uh, was a pastor sitting on a plane and the two men behind him uh, were just having a conversation and cursing in every sentence. And his blood was boiling and he wanted to say something and he didn't know what to say. And finally, uh, I guess with God's help, he turned around and said to them, Are either of you ministers? Ministers? What would make you think that? 
Well, you've used God and damn and hell and Jesus Christ in, in the same sentence. I have a hard time getting it in one sermon. I mean, there's a helpful way. There are helpful ways. There are unhelpful ways. I told you I wasn't against humor, and now you see that that's true, although um, it wasn't as funny as I thought it would be. Um, but I hope it helps you when you hear others blaspheme God's name to find helpful ways to speak to them about the third commandment. Now, two more things. One is to say this. You've probably been familiar with the fact that um, in ancient Israel and today among some Orthodox Jewish people, uh, there's a custom not even to say or to write the name of God. So if you picked up certain Jewish publications, you would find that even the word God wouldn't be written out. It would be G slash D. Now I want to say to you that that's helpful insofar as it reminds us that we ought to be really serious about God's name. We ought to be that serious that we think every time we use it. But I also want to say to you that in an effort not to use the name of the Lord in vain, it's possible that we can go so far as to make Exodus 20 verse 7 almost read, you shall not take the name of the Lord. Period. Some of you may have done that. That's an over-application of this command. The command doesn't say you shall not take the name of the Lord. It says don't take it in vain. Don't take it uselessly. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. But if you hear what we've said today, you might say to yourself, well, this is incredible. This is dangerous, using God's name. I've got to be really careful here. In fact, I just won't use God's name. Some people have said that. I won't sing when we sing because I'm afraid I might not mean it. Or I won't make any promises to God because I'm afraid I might not keep them. I want to change like the other nine. In that, obedience to it is about the heart first and then the actions. So obedience to the third commandment is not about whether you use God's name. It's not about when you use God's name. It's about how you use God's name. The assumption in the third commandment is that you will call out to God, that you will use his name. But the question is how? You may use God's name. You may use God's name anywhere you like. You may use God's name as often as you like, as long as you use it well, as long as it's not spilled out water on the ground. Finally, let me ask you, are you guilty? Are you guilty of breaking the third commandment? Have you been in any way, shape, or form misusing the name of the Lord your God? I have. Have you been using it flippantly? Some of you have. Hypocritically? Some of you have. Falsely? Promises that you never intended to keep? Some of you have. So if you're guilty, like me, let me close by reminding you of the story of a man named Saul who was guilty like me. 1 Timothy 1.13, Saul calls himself, quote, a blasphemer. A blasphemer. One day Saul was going down the road, and in the afternoon, intent on continuing his blasphemies, continuing his persecutions against God's people, Christ met him on the road and knocked him off his feet. 
I pray that God's done the same for some of you today. And then, worse than knocking him off his feet, God temporarily blinded him, leaving behind a nearsightedness, a pronounced nearsightedness that it seems followed Paul for the rest of his life in this world. Because the Lord will not leave him unpunished who misuses his name. But then God sent to Saul a wonderful man, Christian man named Ananias. And what did Ananias say when he walked into the room where Saul was sitting? What do you say? Again, what do you say when someone's using God's name left and right, uncarefully? Well, at the very least, you speak to them about the Savior, about Jesus. And that's what Ananias did. And he closed his brief exhortation to Saul like this. Why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name or calling on his name. Isn't that great? Ananias didn't come to Saul and say, hey, Saul, if you would stop your blasphemy, if you would get that problem straightened out, maybe then God would forgive you. No. What he said, in effect, was this. Saul, you know that name you've been cursing, persecuting, blaspheming, dishonoring? You know that name? If you would just turn and begin to call on that name, you'd be saved. You'd be forgiven. And God, speaking through my lips this morning, says the same to each one of you. The solution to the misuse of the name of the Lord is not the removal of his name from our lips but the taking of his name upon our lips, this time in a cry for mercy in the name of Jesus. So if you're an unbeliever this morning, do you need to do that for the first time? Call on the name of the Lord Jesus? And if you're a believer, do you need to call on the name of the Lord Jesus afresh today? Seeking and finding forgiveness for sins that maybe you didn't even recognize until we opened Exodus 20 this morning. I think all of us do. Whoever you are, my final question is, why do you delay? Get up. Wash away your sins, calling on His 